Welcome back to Do We Like Movies. I'm your host, Angel. And I'm your quarantined host, Hobby. <laughs> and, uh, fuck. My god, have things changed since the last time we did a show. So we're currently living in the apocalypse. I ate a coyote <laughs> last night. It was good. I I listened back <laughs> to our last episode, which is our review of Candyman. And we, like, totally kick off the podcast by talking about how Oh, like, we were both kind of shocked that, like, the release date <laughs> for No Time to Die was delayed because of coronavirus. <laughs> and then, like, two weeks later, we were, everyone is just quarantined in their homes, and we literally live in a science fiction movie now. Yeah. I can't wait for... I'm trying to think what movie this could be. Can't, I just can't wait for the face-eating to start, and then... Zombies running. <laughs> All right, so a couple things before we really get started here. Um, as we said on the Instagram page this week, our James Bond series might be taking an indefinite suspension at this point. Uh, not because, not just because Javi hates Moonraker. Spoiler alert for that episode when it happens. But <laughs> in case anyone was looking forward to that, in case my posts on social media haven't told anyone how much I hate that movie. But also, uh, in large part, to you know, the fact that a lot has changed in just a week. That we, you know, started thinking about doing something that, much like every other podcast that I listen to, it's like you know, takes your mind off of the craziness of the times that we're living in. So instead of <laughs> instead of doing something offensive like uh, reviewing viral infection movies and zombie movies. Oh my god. <laughs> I was like, are we going to do this? I've seen are lots of go- podcasts that I listen to that have started doing that, and it's just like, I don't know. It's like, I feel like it, it is one of those things that is so deadly serious right now that I wouldn't even dare like try to touch it with, with hot subject matter like that. <laughs> it's like if... You know, the if it, when the wake of Kobe Bryant's passing, we were like, "Hey, let's listen, let's review Love and Basketball or some shit." You know, like it just seems in very poor taste. Not that you know, I don't want to knock anyone that is doing it. It's just me personally, especially as someone that works in public health. Like, I can't tell y'all, I've been, I've lost track of days. Like, I just got home today and I'm exhausted as shit. I've just been busy as a motherfucker. I've been, I'm like one of the few people that's actually able to go out into the field, um, in my office. So I can't tell you just like the massive response that like Bay area, like hope, like health jurisdictions have been trying to coordinate. It's been a crazy effort and it's been around the clock. So those of you that are also in the healthcare field or just those of you that are considered essential, like your jobs are considered essential to keep America going. Jeez, I, I got to applaud you. Those of you that got to wake up in the middle of this pandemic and go out there and work like, holy shit. I try not to get very political on this podcast. Angel's definitely the more political dude. But <laughs> if there has ever been an argument for like a living wage, especially here in the Bay Area, like people fucking made that argument this past week. <laughs> Well, like, I gave oh you a ton God. of credit, too, because, of course, as you just kind of added yourself now, you are someone who works in public health. My wife also works in the healthcare sector. Uh, she's not working with patients or anything by any means, but she is, you know, she's she's doing critical work. And I think, yeah, it is important for us to just think about that and then also just like grocery store workers and, and yeah, those few people that are out there doing all of those things. Uh, the other like, thing uh, is... The other thing is we're we're both, we're both doing this episode via Skype call because <laughs> one a term that you're going to hear a lot in this show and I thought it would be appropriate to do this show is the top 5 social distance movies where both of us just put together a top 5 list much like our 50th episode um where we both put together a list of our you know what we think is our favorite uh movies of characters that are either stuck in a single location by themselves or single location with others. And I thought it would be the appropriate way to kind of like, you know, isn't this funny? This is something that we're, it's something that we're literally all experiencing at this point. So I figured it'd be uh, relevant to the times that we're in. Yeah. Especially right now with how much the, this, I, you know, social isolation, social distancing can really play hell on your mental health. 
shit, my mental health is deteriorating on the daily if you just look at my Twitter. <laughs> but honestly, like, you know, we're all in this together. So Angel and I, at the very least, if we can entertain you guys, maybe educate you guys, maybe edutain you guys. Haha, <laughs> that word's pen pending. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah and give you guys something to check out and right now especially while we're all you know trying to keep to ourselves but at the same time reaching out to each other like yeah i think we did our job yeah so uh let's go ahead and get into the episode then at this point uh we both have prior to this show put together a list of the top five films uh that we think deal with the issue of social distancing or social isolation. And funny enough for me, and I know this isn't the case with you because we both of us have seen each other's list before this episode started, but yep. all of mine are horror films with the exception of one. <laughs> and all of my, most of mine are actually action films. I have three action films. Well, technically one thriller, two action films. One comedy and one—I don't know what to call this one. I mean, we'll see. I mean, now that I think about it, I'm like, my movies are less about social distancing and more about singular location. Um, do you think it's appropriate for us to go from the fifth to the first? Oh, totally. I'm okay with that. Uh, so what we can do is much like we did for our 50th episode is you can kick it, I guess this time you can kick it off with your number five and then I'll do my number five right after. All right. So I'll start my number five with, oh no, once my computer stops dying, (laughs) I'm going to kick off my number five with a movie from Indonesia from 2010 called The Raid Redemption. Oh, I'm sorry, 2011. So, this was coming off the heels of Ong Bak, and, you know, like, how a lot of those Indonesian movies were coming, you know, it was kind of like that resurgence in the martial arts franchise. Um, It was, was, like, there was a lot of these movies that were coming over, like, what really introduced the world to, like, mixed martial arts in films, Mm -hmm. and most importantly, Muay Thai. Like, everyone knows Tony Jaa. Tony Jaa became a household name after Ong Bak. Uh, but specifically, what I really like is oh, the one I'm going to talk about today is the Raid Redemption. So the, those of you that haven't seen it, it's about the SWAT uh, officer that goes into a tenement building, like a apartment building, that's run by a um, that's run by like this crime lord. And there's like 30 SWAT officers. They come, they they pull off this daring raid to arrest one criminal, and this crime boss locks the door in or locks the all the doors in and it pretty much puts out a bounty for anyone that lives in the uh in the apartment building uh mm-hmm. to get like live free like live for free um in the in this building uh, if they can kill as many cops as they could so it just becomes like this huge fucking free for all with some amazing fight scenes, like excellently chor- excellently choreographed fight scenes, um, that just they're they're brutal, but at the same time, there's like a certain grace to them. Like honestly, they, I can't I can't oversell this movie enough. Those of you that seen it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Especially the la- the the ma- last major fight scene between this like criminal named Mad Dog and the main character and his brother. Mm-hmm. Fucking fantastic. It made me wince, like, the way they use uh, a lot of props. And actually, kind of reminiscent of kind of Jackie Chan's, like, early movies where uh, he used a lot of props in his fight scenes. Um, I will never be able to see a fluorescent light bulb tube again without thinking of it getting jammed in the dude's throat. It's fucking disgusting. I'm sorry, um, Yes, that happens. It's a fucking fantastic movie where it's, like, all... All these dudes come out um, from of the woodwork. It's um, funny. This movie has people that I know, and it, it just I, for some reason it's one of those films that I've heard of before, but it just flew under the radar in terms of just my knowledge of it. Right. So you know what's really weird about this movie? Completely like a very similar premise. I think the movie that had uh, a very similar premise to this was uh, the Dread remake from also mm-hmm. from 2011 with Carl Urban. Same premise, like a mob boss owns a uh, apartment building, 
a cop has to fight his way through floors to beat the main bad guy. Like, really straightforward plot. But it was just like that these movies were separated by months. But they were both very gritty, very action-filled, and just great fun fun to watch movies, especially given that even though it's in all set in one location, they're able to like spice it up and like use different parts of the building very you know, like set very interesting tones throughout it. Mm-hmm. But I highly recommend it. The Raid Redemption 2011. Fuck yeah. Okay, so number five on my list. Uh, I changed it. I think I, the list I sent you actually, I I, up, I changed my number five and and. Oh, don't worry about it. I changed our my last list in the middle of the episode. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. So my number five movie is actually the horror film from 2008, The Strangers, starring uh, mm-hmm. Liv Tyler and Scott Speedman. And fuck yeah. <laughs> And the funny thing about this movie is the marketing was all, you know, it was all based on the true story marketing and stuff like that. And, and you know, God, is it or is it not? Probably not. But whatever. It was marketed that way. Uh, funny enough, it is one of the earliest dates that, like, my wife and I went on was when this film was in theaters in 08. And uh, it is <laughs> we, we went to go see it. And then, and then after uh, we saw the movie, we decided to go to like a local like lookout point uh, out here in 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 the Bay Area, right? Oh hell no! There was nobody there. It was a Saturday night, and it was pretty late at night. And we're both just sitting there, kind of like you know, looking over the skyline, right, and all that stuff. <laughs> and we look down at the street behind us and we see one person standing in the middle of the street just looking up and I don't know if they were looking up at the sky or looking up at us <laughs> and it was just the creepiest thing but uh, that, dude <laughs> but this movie uh, from 2008 is about a it's about a uh, young couple in love that are uh, they they are coming back from I guess a wedding reception and what I like about this movie is that there isn't really a ton of dialogue in it. Like, it it, it kind of unfolds in a way. Like, it, it just allows the information to kind of unfold in front of you and will give you hints as to the fact that, yes, this uh, Scott Speedman's character uh, proposed to Liv Tyler uh, at this reception that they were at, and she turned down the proposal. And unfortunately, you know, they... they assumed it was going to be obviously he he had planned that she was going to say yes so they were going to come home and those rose petals like everywhere on the floor leading up into the bathtub there was champagne and chocolate everywhere and all that kind of stuff and and instead you just have two people that are coming home very depressed (laughs) because obviously she you know she feels bad about the fact that she does not want to marry this guy but that's just what she doesn't want to do right so just remember, fellas, don't give your women a choice. Like, you propose in the most public, obnoxious way possible. <laughs> because if anyone, if she says no, everyone's going to think she's such a goddamn bitch. I, it, like, you know, I, I don't. Just kidding. Yeah. Please, for the love of God, don't do that. <laughs> you know, it, it's it's one of those things where it's like, you know, I, I felt one way about it when I watched it. 12 years ago, but much different at this point. And, uh, yes, understandably so. It just wasn't working out between them for whatever reason. And it looks like this guy's about to get a friend to pick him up so he can go away, right? And this Mm -hmm. is, like, 2 in the morning in this, like, summer home out in the middle of nowhere in the forest. And while Scott Speedman's character goes to, like, a, a gas station convenience store or something... Uh, Liv Tyler ends up getting a knock at the door and it's like, you know, it's really creepy. It's three people that are essentially haunting, uh, this young couple in love, uh, or who are in love at one point. And, and one of the things that is, you know, is creepy about these characters is that we never really find out much about the killers at all. Um, mm-hmm. we know that they wear these like three, like old, like it's like these like plastic masks, right? They, like those really cheap old plastic masks where, uh, the two girls, both of them look like, you know, dolls, like these porcelain dolls or whatever. And, uh, the male, uh, killer is wearing a burlap sack over his head with like a, <laughs> and he's wearing a suit, which, you know, in a way, all I could think about was like Cillian Murphy's scarecrow. <laughs> 
<laughs> when I saw him. Because everything goes back to Batman. <laughs> yeah, but I, I the movie did have like one of the greatest scares that I've ever seen, like personally watched like in a movie theater in terms of the reaction, right? And that's the scene where uh, Liv Tyler's character is in the kitchen and she's like drinking a glass of water or whatever it is, right? And right behind her, like obscured, you know, it's like blurred, but you see like the burlap sack guy walking into the living room behind her. And there's no music at all. It was very John Carpenter Halloween, like just in... I was just like, wow, you know, at that time I was like, I can't believe like a modern movie is, is really, you know, has like a moment that takes me all the way back to Halloween when I watched it. So, uh, I don't want to spoil how the ending goes. Again, I would recommend that movie. It is a, it's practically a single location film because even though you're getting flashbacks to this wedding reception, it's really just these two characters at home and they are being, you know, relentlessly tortured uh by the three strangers that are outside and what really makes you feel for the main character is that not only are they struggling with this crossroads in their relationship it's all while being fucking haunted by these fucking terrifying ass people in masks um and it's funny because i was about to mention like that you that uh like going back to what you were saying about it being based on a true story mm-hmm. like i remember reading up about this film like it was at the the what it's based on is that the director as a kid in canada heard about like some break-ins in someone's house while the people were still inside and but they did nothing to like fuck with the people and pretty much he grew up with that fear of someone like breaking into your house and being in your area but not messing with you or not doing anything to you. So he goes, okay, let's, let's play with that. You know, mm-hmm. uh, in case you don't know, there's actually a sequel available on Amazon prime. Uh, it's called yes. the strangers pray at night. If you've seen it yet, I-, I haven't seen it yet, but I've actually heard pretty good things about it. And, uh, I've been meaning to watch it for a long time. It's definitely worth checking out. Like I think the stranger, the first strangers was so good at what it did that it shouldn't have had a sequel, but I mean, the, the, the the sequel's a little bit more by the numbers, like, as far as, like, new horror goes, but it's definitely worth watching if you like the first one. And I forgot Scott Speedman was in it. I don't know why I thought Luke Wilson was in it. <laughs> Alright, so the movie that I wanted to open up with, or not open up with, but, you know, talk about next, is the 2010 Ryan Reynolds Tour de Force mm-hmm. Buried. Which, actually, I think you got me onto this movie uh, way back when. Um, I already told me about it. You told me about the premise. You're just like, oh, it's it's Ryan Reynolds. It, it, it's like an hour and a half. Ryan Reynolds is in the coffin the entire movie. And I'm just like, what? And, and up until this point, 2010, Ryan Reynolds was fucking Van Wilder. And I'm like, okay. Or he was the, the douche in waiting. Well, nah, he wasn't as douchey as, like... No, he was pretty douchey, if I remember correctly. Well, I mean, I've seen him in plenty of stuff up until this point, but this was really the turning point for me and Ryan Reynolds. Like, I, I don't know how I'd feel about that movie if I saw it now, but I haven't seen it in, like, eight years. But when I saw it, part of the reason why I put so many people onto it was because it was just really interesting to hear, like, to have an entire film be a guy in a box, right? Like that yeah. is typically it's like one scene in a movie when something like that happens. And one of the things that I found the most impressive about that film itself and his performance is that he fills the movie with it. And you have segments of the movie where he's panicking because he's remembering that he's just stuck in there. Uh, Mm -hmm. he's got a phone which only has like a certain amount of battery on it. This was like in the era of flip phones. So the iPhone was out at this point, but this guy was in Iraq. Uh, we don't know how long he was out there, you know, getting a smartphone is not getting a smartphone is not the first thing on his, on his mind. And yeah, he was, he was a truck driver in Iraq. Not really, uh, not really, uh, a, uh, how do I put it? Like a, a soldier or anything like that. No, no, no. He was in charge of like uh, he was like trying to he was helping like a telecom company. He was moving like 
uh, what's it called? Uh, he was moving equipment from like one site to another in Iraq, trying to help build the infrastructure and stuff. And he ends up getting kidnapped by insurgents. Um, and he's just he's thrown into this uh, he's thrown into this coffin. Where he's buried. Uh, he's buried somewhere in the desert with nothing but like a cell phone. Mm-hmm. And so he uses the phone to try to to try to call. Um, to try to call uh, anybody, anyone that can help. So he goes on like this series of like uh, of like phone calls and different conversations, and just trying to figure out whether he's calling his work and the embassy. Like you know, he's trying to just get a hold of somebody that can help him. And it's like like you were saying, like the the fact that he's able to switch from being panicky and like scared and terrified to like resolved, and he knows he's gonna get out of there. You know. All the way up until the end, like you see this guy go through essentially all five stages of grief throughout the film, <laughs> it, and it's just I gotta commend Ryan Reynolds was fucking fantastic to, to essentially just be you know laying in a box for an hour and a half. It was just it was a fantastic film. Yeah, um, and I think one of the j- things that it really highlights as well is just kind of the hopelessness and just the never never ending bureaucracy. Of of these services, like you know, like all the different agencies that had business in Iraq, right? Like, there's a mm. series of phone calls where he like calls the State Department, he calls the company that he worked for, finds out that he's not working for that company anymore. Like, it's just, it, it's. I don't want to get too far into it, but it's just like it's pretty shocking, and, and it and it like totally draws a picture of how. Jobs don't really, you know, specifically these jobs didn't really care about any of their employees. Uh, they will leave you there to die. <laughs> and just the hopelessness of being in a situation like this. And the craziest part is that there's actually one person he does get on the phone that does care about his safety, that does want to help him. And it's like also to experience that person's hopelessness as well. Is That's the... That's the uh, I guess that's like the central theme of the film is just dealing with taking on adversity, like and taking on hopelessness, like you know, face first. It was it, it's fantastic though. Yeah, like, uh, I just hate to draw, par- I hate to draw parallel to that in the times that we're living in now, but it's it's essentially the idea that where you you have this con- construct in your head that everything is going to be okay at every moment. And you slow once things get rough, you slowly start to discover that not only are things may things not be okay, but the people that you are trusting to be the people who have the answers don't necessarily have the answers all the time. And that's the part of it that is just so shocking. And and I would be careful uh, even watching this film if if this isn't the right time for you to just kind of deal with those emotions. But it's definitely a a, a fantastic movie. Uh, maybe I'll yeah. get myself to watch it again, but I remember showing it to my parents and having them be completely disgusted that I, that I brought it up to them. Why would you make us watch this, you disgusting pervert? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, definitely don't check it out, right? Especially if you're a person that, like, the, our current events are definitely taking a toll on your mental health. Don't watch Buried right now. <laughs> yeah. Maybe you should watch the next movie in my list. But uh, I'll get there when I get there. Go ahead, Angel. What's the next one you got? All right. So my number four movie is a movie from the 1960s. Ooh. Uh, it is called Wait Until Dark, and it's a movie that stars uh, Audrey Hepburn and Alan Arkin. In uh, this, <laughs> this movie was also directed by Terrence Young. And if that name sounds familiar, uh, we haven't reviewed any of the films that he has done. But Terrence Young is is uh, got his start in when he was directing Doctor No, and uh, from mm-hmm. Russia with Love in the James Bond series. So <clears throat> he's someone who's you know at this time was you know popular because of the Ian Fleming ad- adaptations that he was in. Uh, mm-hmm. Audrey Hepburn's husband is actually played by an actor named Efren Zimbalist Jr. And I... <laughs> you want to see how I bring it back to Batman? Oh, my fucking God. Well, this going to be 60s Batman, isn't it? No, no, no. This actor is actually... He, he does the voice of Alfred in Batman the Animated Series. Oh, what? Yeah. <laughs> I love that Alfred. 
Yeah. But now he's more he's of a the best, I mean, though. later he was more of a voice actor, but this is still back when he was an actor and he was in film. And, uh, you know, for people who are into Audrey Hepburn now, like, you know, Audrey Hepburn has been pretty popular because she's on T-shirts. She shows up in Insta quotes and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, uh, outside of Breakfast with Tiffany's, there's not a lot of stuff that people could probably name that she was in. I think this is really good. Uh, when it, the first time I had seen or heard of it was actually like in the mid two thousands. The the TV channel Bravo they ranked their one hundred scariest movie moments. No, I remember the, that series. And the moment that they picked from this movie was actually a. Uh, so this movie is not necessarily a horror film. It's kind of a thriller, and it revolves mm-hmm. around uh, a woman. So Audrey Hepburn plays uh, a character who's blind. And she <laughs> somehow uh, it, it comes into her possession is a doll that's uh, filled with bags of heroin inside of it. And Fucking sweet. Yeah, no, and 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 Alan Arkin is the leader of this gang of three crooks that are essentially trying to, uh, while her husband is away, they're essentially trying to get the doll from her and looking to kill her if, if you know, they're not able to find what they're looking for, right? Like, these are very dangerous people. Uh, they try to take advantage of the fact that she's blind from an auto accident. And, um, you know, essentially by fooling her about who they are. And one of the things that is I really appreciate about this movie is she, the character of Susie, uh, which is, you know, she plays a character named Susie, uh, Susie is very much like a Laurie Strode type of final girl or, you know, Sidney Prescott. Like, you know, we've we've covered these people and it's like when she she starts off being the victim of these people that are attacking her. And she's at the end by the end of the movie, she's the one that's going to end up uh, turning it around on them. And this movie actually had a fantastic gimmick where right before the jump scare scene. So <laughs> what happens is at some point in the film. Uh, Susie's uh, character is attacked by Alan Arkin, right? Mm-hmm. And when and when he attacks her, she ends up knocking over a lamp. And when she knocks over a lamp, the entire screen cuts to black. And then you get this warning that comes up that tells you uh, that this is the darkest possible scene or something like that. Like It, it was like one of those... like movie warnings that you would get <laughs> and oh. i wish i could find like what it says on it let me see if i can find it but it, it was one of those like things where it says due you know uh due to the nature of this film the the lights in this movie theater are going to be turned to the darkest levels that we could possibly turn it to and mm-hmm. during this is probably one of the best jump scares that i've ever seen in a film before and it's shocking. Like, even now, it's like, it's a movie that, again, it's not really a quote-unquote horror movie, but it has one of the best jump scares that I've ever seen in a movie before, so. Oh, if I watch this movie, and it, or if I watch this scene, and it makes me shit myself, I'm gonna be so mad. <laughs> I'm just I'm saying sure. that, you know, now that we're all, like, stuck on lockdown, is the perfect opportunity to come explore some of these uh, lesser-known yeah. films. Now is the chance to have... <laughs> Pants shitting terror. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm gonna lighten the mood. Wait, are you done with the? Yeah, I'm done. Waiting in the dark. Wait in the dark. Is that no, what it's called? Wait until dark. Wait until yeah. Waiting in the dark. That's what I said. <laughs> no. Wait until dark from 1967. Yeah, waiting dark. Directed by Terrence Young. Okay. But yeah, wait until dark. So I'm gonna I'm gonna bring some levity. And I'm going to bring some shine to a franchise that has two movies as well as a six-episode season run on ABC with the animated series. And I'm going to talk about Clerks and Clerks 2. More Clerks 2, because I think Clerks 2 is a little bit... Personally, I thought Clerks 2 was more funny. Um... You know, maybe the, uh, the people that really like uh, Kevin Smith's early work are going to fucking tell me I'm stupid and shut up and I, I don't, can't appreciate Clerks 1. But come on, like, Clerks 2 is way more fucking quotable. <laughs> and for those of you that haven't seen the Clerks series, 
that revolves around Dante and Randall, these two fucking, uh, I won't call them scumbags, but they're just, like, lovable loser types. Like, they've been friends forever, and in the first uh, Clerks, um, they're working at the Quick Stop, which is essentially a 7-Eleven with a, a adjacent video store, and they it's literally just a movie about them talking about pop culture uh, from the 90s, right? Um, and outside, Jane Silent Bob fucking just doing Jane Silent Bob things, selling weed outside of the store, and it's just a day in the life of these characters and, like, all the crazy shit that goes from them. Uh, or that goes around on around them. And the iconics or or you know, one of the most memorable quotes from the first uh, from the first clerks is when uh, Dante has the blow up with his girlfriend and they start arguing after he finds out that she'd given twenty seven blowjobs before. <laughs> And then when she was, it, she tries to tell him it's not that serious. You know, she goes leaving and goes, or she she leaves the she leaves the store. He goes chasing her and yells, "Yeah, well, try to go to the parking lot without sucking twenty seven dicks this time." <laughs> and then like this dude stares at him and then starts following his girlfriend. <laughs> I was like, "Oh God, that's so creepy now." But it was funny back then. But you know, like, and it, it the first film is really interesting because it's like these guys in their twenties and they just have all this untapped potential and i very like i very much relate with these guys mentality where it's like it's it i'm gonna make it happen and i'm gonna do something with my life like there's kind of like this weird cynical optimism these guys have and then clerks two happens like 10 it's supposed to be set like 10 years later and then you see these guys have done nothing in those past 10 years and they're you know they're they're on the wrong side of 30 and I think now, I can't say I relate to these guys, you know, where I'm at in my life, but I can see that, like, it's really interesting to see that that kind of quiet, um, what's the word? There's, there's a certain term for it. It's like uh, kind of exasperation. Um, and just how, they, how they're just living this life of just kind of getting by in their menial jobs. But at the end of the day, they have each other, right? They're friends, they're, and they help each other get through it. So Clerks 2 specifically is about Dante trying to get his life going. He has a, he has a girlfriend that he's going you know, to marry. She doesn't get along with Randall. And Randall is totally cool being like this sack of shit that just loves arguing with people on the internet. And just everything he does is just talking shit to people. Um, one, of my fa- <laughs> one of my favorite exchanges is that he goes on like the company, because they work at this place called Movies, which is like McDonald's. Uh, they go on the company, like, computer, and he starts talking shit to people on, like, these message boards. <laughs> and he starts talking to this guy that's, like, wheelchair-bound, and he starts, like, talking about how much he loves taking it, like, taking for granted the fact that he can walk by, like, ha- talking about how much he would rather, like, just um, drive around instead of walking to the end of the street to put on gas. And then starts telling the guy how he's not Anne Frank or something like that. And then he's like, what do you mean Anne Frank? And goes, yeah, wasn't she the one that was all stupid until some miracle worker came and slapped some smarts in her? And he goes, no, you're thinking of Helen Keller. And then Aunt Randall's just like, but who the fuck is Anne Frank? And it's just like, yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> was that one a slow burn? <laughs> Oh, God. It, yeah, it's just irreverent, but at the same time, it really, like, dives into the whole, it, like, these guys that have to become adults without wanting to be adults, you know? And it's like this pre-millennials, like, coming around. It's like definitely these guys are in between millennial and Gen X, just kind of, like, trying to find their place and shit. So me, personally, I very much relate to it. I feel like you relate to it. People in our age range probably relate to it. Uh, plus, it's Kevin fucking Smith. Kevin Smith is hilarious. All right. No so. matter what, everyone can recite 15 bucks, little man, you know? <laughs> come on, Angel, you know you want to. 15 bucks, little man. No, not gonna. Come on. <laughs> but, come on. But I definitely, I don't have a problem with that uh, with that film. <laughs> uh, All right, fine. So, what, what do you got? What fucking douchey movie do you have to add to this? Uh, I have Assault on Precinct 13. 
which is the <laughs> 76, I believe, John Carpenter movie. So this is the movie that he makes right before Halloween. And this is essentially his first film. And both you and I have seen this movie before uh, together. We've seen it together. Uh, as well with as Ethan you know, Hawke just... and Lawrence Fishburne. Mm, no, not the one with Ja Rule and Ethan Hawke and <laughs> Lawrence Fishburne. <laughs> and John Shut Leguizamo. up, I forgot Ja Rule was in that one. No, Ja Rule and John Linguizamo are like these two, like, dipshit criminals that are trying to use this as, uh, as an excuse to escape. Like, they end up doing absolutely nothing of note in this. Uh, the remake is not a good film. Uh, the, the the original one, I'm not gonna say it has the most, like, ridiculous story that you've ever... Like, it doesn't have, like, such a deep story of you to think of, but essentially the film revolves around uh, a police department in Los Angeles that's going to shut down at midnight. Uh, it's got a skeleton crew in it, and the uh, the main character uh, in the film, whose his name is sorry, uh, main character's name is uh, Lieutenant Ethan Bishop, and um, he's so he's a guy who grew up in the neighborhood that this is in. Right, this is obviously like a gang ravaged neighborhood uh it's this is again this is the last day of operation for this little uh precinct and among the skeleton staff one of them is actually played by uh the the actress nancy loomis who plays one of laurie's friends in halloween as well and charles cyphers is in it as an officer and he ends up playing the sheriff in halloween so a lot of the halloween cast and crew actually end up uh you know they actually got their start here so um it's like hey remember that movie that didn't make us that much money do you want to do another one (laughs) yeah so the film i thought was really interesting about it is you know we talked about how we're not going to do any films about infections or zombies and stuff like that one of the things i really like about assault on precinct 13 is it's essentially a zombie film without a zombies uh, the characters that are trying to, you know, who are assaulting this precinct are a gang, uh, it's like a, a street gang, um, that's, I guess, God, uh, the gang called, they're called Street Thunder, <laughs> which is very, like, Shut war- the fuck up! It's are very warriors of them, right? <laughs> I was about to say, that sounds like a rejected name for the warriors, because it sounds too campy. <laughs> Yeah, it's like they're, they're, and they're also just like, you know, they're all like monsters. They barely talk. Uh, they're almost like the <laughs> the precursor to Michael Myers in some way, in that they're these silent killers, except there's so many of them. And throughout the film, the, the, uh, this precinct, uh, for, for whatever reason, is going to be used to house one of the world's most dangerous criminals. His name is Napoleon Wilson. And he's the co-star uh, with this, with with uh, with Lieutenant Bishop in this, and it actually ends up being a film where, like, you know, if the criminals and the police officers want to survive, then they all have to work together, uh, and they and they work together to try to, you know, take out these hordes of <laughs> of street gang thugs that are trying to attack them throughout the night. And uh, it's, I guess it's, it's John Carpenter's, he was inspired by Night of the Living Dead and also inspired by a a movie called Rio Bravo, which, Mm -hmm. uh, or or I think it was uh, Rio Lobo or something. Basically, instead of zombies, they were blacks and Mexicans. (laughs) Well, John Carpenter has talked about it before. Originally, he never really wanted to be a horror director, right? John Carpenter really wanted to make westerns, but the problem is that by the time he got famous and started becoming a director, what was in was horror movies and action films, so that is essentially where he ends up (laughs) making a lot of his bones in the early days. Uh, Again, it's a film that's super simple. Uh, but if you if you are someone who likes Halloween, like it's got a style to it that it's just like I think we've talked about it when we talked about Tarantino, and we mentioned that like there's a style to you know his first three films that 
that never gets duplicated in his later work. And I think that's the same thing about John Carpenter. There's a certain style and tone about the stuff that he does in Assault and Halloween that like never gets you know recaptured in any of the other films that he does after. And um, I think it's definitely a worthwhile watch if you're into you know those kinds of action films. And there's also one scene in it <laughs> that I actually think is pretty dark and pretty good, and that is, uh, it's a girl who's you know going to get ice cream from an ice cream truck, and mm-hmm. they show uh, the girl getting shot by one of these uh, gangsters, like right in front of a right in front of a uh, ice cream truck, and in front of her dad, and it is really like a shocking scene when you see it. And the Cause guy doesn't he who... take her like doesn't he grab her body and like runs down to the uh, to the precinct and like that's the that's yeah. what mm-hmm. that's the catalyst the catalyst of everything right yeah. and, and the guy, guy like, and the guy who shoots her the guy who shoots her really like pops out of the side of the ice cream truck almost like Michael Myers pops out like in Halloween right like it is it, there are traces of this that'll that'll show you where he's going so uh, definitely a high recommend. Uh, we can go to your number two now. My number two. All right. So we said no infection movies, right? Yes. Okay. Cool. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to switch that movie to an honorable mention, though. I do want to say there is a really good isolation movie called uh, The Bar. It's uh in it's a Spanish movie, as in actually from Spain of Spanish descent. <laughs> Um, but it's on Netflix if anyone wants to check it out. It's about, it's a dark comedy about these people that are locked down in a bar and, um, aren't allowed to leave. And it's kind of like people piecing, like as they, you know, as the movie progresses, they're, they're piecing together what's going on and what's forcing them to stay in the bar. Um, very cheeky though. Very tongue in cheek. A lot of good, a lot of, uh, good humor because, uh, these people very clearly don't like each other, so they're constantly shit-talking each other. But, again, like, the very common theme of any isolation movie is having to work together, even though you're, you know, odd couples. Um, I want to give that one a... uh, I'll give that one a honorable mention. But my number two is actually going to be Green Room, a 2015 uh, movie. I believe it's one of the, like early A24 movies, if you're one of those guys that gets all hoity-toity about who produces films. <laughs> and the movie follows this punk rock band from uh, from Washington called The Eight Rights, and how they, they've been playing across the Pacific Northwest. So going into Washington and um, in Portland, or I'm sorry, Portland and Oregon, and just like playing these punk rock band or these punk rock shows and these venues, and they like it's like four band members that all like li- are living out of this van, have no money, so they like siphon gas, they steal gas from other cars to kind of get around and just get by on what they make from these rock shows, and um, they end up getting holed up at a, uh, they, they go to this, like, neo-Nazi bar somewhere in Oregon, because <laughs> pretty much they get screwed at this show in, uh, by this guy that's interviewing them to try to kind of give, give them exposure and try to learn more about their band. This is a guy that runs, a, uh, like, a zine, um, very common in the punk scene. Not trying to say I'm a punk rocker by any means. I'm, I'm fucking too old and fat to be a punk <laughs> But, um, yeah, like, like it's really interesting because, like, when I watched the movie, it brought me back to, like, when I was, like, 18, 19, 20, and I would go to shitty bars to go watch, like, shitty punk rock bands that were all trying to make it. It really took back to, like, you know, people that, that grew up with it will remember it, but really going to this place in Richmond called the Burnt Rotman which was just such a fucking shithole. All it was is a place for teenagers to go drink and do drugs and just listen to shitty music. But we, everyone that went, we thought we were the shit. <laughs> it was like the epitome of like a punk rock shithole. Um, 
And it's great, you know, like it, it, like these, like the 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 characters in the movie remind me of those people I met and I would hang out with. Uh, so they end up going to this like neo-Nazi bar, and the right off the bat, they the first song they play is by the Dead Kennedys called "Nazi Punks Fuck Off," and like they play it in this bar full of fucking neo-nazis that immediately start throwing beer and shit at them but eventually like they win the crowd over by playing like some of their harder music um and anyway when the when the band goes back to the titular green room uh they see that uh this girl was killed back there by someone from another like a skinhead that was in another band uh, so pretty much they hold up, and from then on, it's just them trying to survive, and it's them dealing with this, uh, with this like terrifying fucking group of like very like very militant skinheads guys that like really do believe in the like the rise of the Fourth Reich or whatever the fuck. Um, and uh, people of note in the film, uh, you know, the late Anton Yelchin, who some of y'all will remember from as uh, Chekhov from the Star Trek movies, um, as well as, let me see, Pat, good old Sir Patrick Stewart actually plays the main villain. Um, his name is Darcy, and he's just like, he's so out of where he he normally plays, like, I don't know. How would you describe Patrick Stewart? Like you see him, I, I me personally, I've always seen him as kind of like a nice grandpa. But how would you ever describe him? <laughs> well, I mean, I would only describe him as Picard because that is what I remember him as, like more than anything in the world. And Professor X. So. <laughs> well, he was kind of a dickhead as Professor X, but that's not the point. The point is, like his his look is always like to me has always been look just like nice grandpa. Mm-hmm. And to see him be like so brutal and like so angry and so fucking like not Patrick Stewart like the yeah. meme right <laughs> and it, he is he plays such a fucking like terrifying character like he the only way to describe him is like an, imagine a Nazi officer in in World War Two just very like matter of fact just doing his job he's not enjoying like he's he he's doing his job but he likes his job mm-hmm. but not like not like in a in a weird sick way he's just like he he just seems proud of himself for doing a good job it, 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 he plays he plays the character really well um uh, but yeah highly recommend it's available on netflix right now the uh just green room and uh okay well i guess my number two uh film is a alfred hitchcock movie <laughs> And uh, it's Rear Window. And uh, funny enough, I you know, it's a movie about a character who is stuck in his own apartment. And he is looking out over a courtyard and to a building across the street. And one of the things that I love about this movie, like, and I, why I recommend everyone watch it, and I think, you know, specifically younger people who have never seen it before... It is such a really good, unique movie. It looks like a play when you're watching it, right? Because the the camera stays so focused on the building itself, but all everyone in this building has like wide open windows, wide open curtains, and your main character, played by Jimmy Stewart, um, who is also in you know the main character in Vertigo, right? So this is the other like really great uh, Hitchcock movie that I that, that I think he did. And in some ways I actually like this movie. I like this I think it's just on par with Vertigo, right? Vertigo is probably my favorite one of his films, but this is my second favorite. Um it, it's so it's so good, right? Like uh, so Jimmy Stewart's character has a broken leg. He's essentially quarantined inside of his apartment and the two people who do actually get to see him. Uh, one of them is like his maid and caretaker, and the other one is his girlfriend, who's who <laughs> who is like I guess they've had a relationship where she like wanted to take the next step and wants him to be together and or like you know in marriage, and he does not want to do that. So uh, it, it, it deals with not only his anxiety about. 
wanting to be married and essentially being stuck with the woman <laughs> inside with the woman who like who he has trouble committing to. But it actually it's it's him dealing with a lot of his own. He's got a lot of like sexist thoughts. He's very judgmental. Um, he he assumes everything about his neighbors by watching them, right? And I know mm-hmm. that <laughs> the first time I heard about this movie was actually in 2007 when the uh, when uh, Disturbia came out. The <laughs> the Rihanna song. No, 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 the movie. No, I'm just fucking with you. I know what you want. Yeah, the Shia LaBeouf uh, film that, like, oh, my God. It's, I cringe when I think about it now, and everybody's like, oh, it's like a modern-day retelling of Rear Window. Rear Window is you mean, so much more. You mean where Shia LaBeouf's girlfriend, like, refuses to wear any actual clothes, and she's just in a bikini the whole movie? Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit, I do remember that. Well, the, yeah, the funny thing is that there is a character that's kind of like that in Rear Window where you know Stewart's character is like watching her the entire time um but it, it's just the simpsons did this they they did the episode where bart breaks his leg and he ends up thinking that flanders the guy who kills his wife so essentially mm-hmm. jimmy stewart's character among just judging his neighbors and kind of being like his character is essentially the guy that you see scrolling down like a feed on facebook or instagram just kind of judging every single person who's in his feed uh, for whatever they choose to post. And that's essentially what this guy is. But he happens to stumble upon uh, one of his neighbors who he believes, by watching him closely, like, you know, over moments, uh, it, it has killed his wife. And it, it, ends up, uh, it ends up kind of building up to this guy finding out that Jimmy Stewart's character is watching him. And I think, you know, I won't get into the ending or anything like that, but it's a fantastic movie. Definitely worth watching. I think it's almost too close <laughs> to where we're at in some ways, but it's just interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it's, they always refer to Hitchcock as the master of suspense, but he, and he's made hundreds of movies, but you know, this movie really stands out. I, it's it's one of his best works. One of the reasons why they call him the master of suspense is the ending of this film, and uh, it's 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 a classic and definitely something worth revisiting while we're all stuck in our apartments, staring at our neighbors across the courtyard. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I just think about no. <laughs> Oh my god. Alright, so number one, you had to see this coming. You knew I was going to talk about fucking one of my favorite Tarantino movies ever, going back to Quentin Tarantino, Reservoir Dogs is my number one. (laughs) And I think with good reason, holy shit, Reservoir Dogs, even though technically it does take place in different places, like, you know, we get the opening scene in the restaurant, uh, which are, and, but most of the action takes place after the fact of the diamond heist, which then, you know, so everything takes place in this weird, like, oh, a fucking funeral home warehouse. Yeah, like, it's like a warehouse. I'm never, like, I'm never really 100%, like, but there's, like, a hearse in the background. Um, and, I mean, the movie just kind of, if at this point, if you, you've seen it, you know, you get it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, just the how Tarantino and you mentioned it earlier that style that the way Tarantino can write criminals and can write like these crazy situations that they find themselves in but for those of you that haven't seen it essentially the movie is a a diamond heist gone wrong Um, these criminals are all in this isolated location this warehouse the entire movie for the most part takes place just here and one of these people is a undercover cop and no one can trust each other. So, it, and you know, it's some, it's a, it's a story beat. He does again, he does it again in hateful late, but it's just, he's so good at writing these tense situations. These guys go in like in the Tarantino style of just like how these guys are able to tell stories and, it's just it's fascinating and you find yourself entrenched and you really you really start caring for well 
at least two of these guys, there's two of these guys that aren't total dog shit people. <laughs> but, you know, you got Mr. Blonde played by Michael Madsen, who's the sociopath. You got Mr. Pink played by uh, uh, Steve Buscemi, who just always looks like he's a fucking wiry and weird, you know. Um, he, has, he, of course, has the famous, like, why you don't tip um, monologue where he talks about why his philosophy behind not tipping. Um, please don't be a dick. Like actually, actually tip your, if you're, if you're going to go out for dinner, if you can afford to go out for dinner, you can afford to tip. Don't be, a dick. if you're ever going to be allowed to go outside again to a restaurant and go out to dinner, then you should probably consider tipping that person more than you would have before this situation that we find ourselves in now. And you know what the worst part is? Like, I knew people that were, like, just because of Mr. Pink be like, oh, I don't tip. And it's like, fuck you. Or, hey, don't be a fucking prick just because you just saw Reservoir Dogs. But, yeah, you got Tim Roth, who plays Mr. Orange. He's, like, the young guy that's, like, new to to the crime, the crime, the crime world. He's not big on doing crimes yet. And then Harvey Keitel... Um, who I think is the only guy whose name we actually learn. Um, but he's like, he kind of has this, uh, mentor mentee relationship with Tim Roth and immediately kind of like tries to help him learn the ropes and how to, and pretty much how to, how to be a good criminal, you know? Um, but yeah, the writing is fantastic. The, the monologues they have, the, um, the fucking terrifying scene where Michael Madsen cuts the cop's ear off, like, while he tortures him in the warehouse. Um, just, yeah, all the way up until the Mexican standoff in the end. Like, the movie, the movie's fantastic. It's, um, it's a great bottle, bottle episode of a movie. <laughs> and I, and I recommend any Tarantino fan to check it out. I recommend anyone that is a crime, just a crime story fan. Um, and especially right now, like right now that we're all stuck in isolation and we're all stuck in social distance mode, like it's definitely a great movie to check out right now and social distancing yourself. All right. And my number one is I, I'm shocked that we didn't end up having any overlapping films on our list. I thought that was the most impressive thing that happened when we first started discussing the idea of doing this. But my first, my number one movie is probably the social isolation, social distance film, and that is The Shining, uh, the 1980 Kubrick, uh, Doc Stanley Kubrick film, uh, starring Jack Nicholson. It's based on the Stephen King novel. If you read the Stephen King novel, the book makes it very clear that the Overlook Hotel, where our three main characters are staying at, is haunted. But Stanley Kubrick's film has a much different reading to it when you see it. Uh, you know, Jack Nicholson plays Jack Torrance, who is a teacher who, I guess it, 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 it kind of hints at the fact that he is not, you know, he's not going to be a teacher anymore. He wants to write the next great American novel. <laughs> and he decides to get a job watching this uh hotel out in the middle of Colorado called the Overlook Hotel and I guess the caretaker of this place has to be there for what like four or five months pretty much through the entirety of the winter season if I remember correctly right. because there, there has to be someone there to like help them clear the roads out um you know, once the spring comes around and people start coming back to the hotel. Yeah. And, and clearly in the film, like, there are overtones of child abuse, right? Like, the idea is that it's, it's very clear that uh, Jack has physically harmed uh, Danny, you know, mm -hmm. Danny Torrance uh, to, to some extent. And uh, he, it's revealed that he was an alcoholic uh, that he's had issues with his wife as well. And it's one of those movies that, you know, it, it nothing, no film does such a masterful job at just making you feel absolutely alone as that film. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I do love about it as well is it, it is that Overlook Hotel with all the sets uh, and how everything is shot. It's a place where even though you know it's creepy as hell, you wish you could see it in real life. And you wish you could walk around in like the sets of these movies. Like you wish it was mm -hmm. a real place that you could go to because it's so 
specifically the ballroom, you know, the scene where where uh, Jack, you know, ends up imagining the ghostly bartender that's there. <laughs> and it, it's it's such a good film. It tells you so much without using words. Um, you're bringing a family who's got their own issues to come stay alone, where the only people that they can interact with are each other. Um, they There's... have everything that they would need for five months, right? Like all the yeah. food that they're possibly going to need. Uh, all they have to do is stay in there. Maybe the most you do is uh, you have to go, you know, turn on the 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 furnace and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but that, you know, but very minimal, very minimal work you'll mm-hmm. have to do. You'll have the place to yourself, basically. And it's it's one of those things that sounds so wonderful in theory. Much like when people are like, you know, well, I'm an introvert, so I'm very much going to enjoy, uh, you know, social, having to self-isolate myself or mm-hmm. to socially distance myself. But once you're actually there, you start to realize that you're going to get a little bit of cabin fever when you're stuck in a house with these people for so long. <laughs> No TV and no beer make Homer feel something, something. <laughs> yeah, I think, <laughs> I, you know, with all the work that I've been doing from home, I'm only a few Are weeks Jack away from... Are up over there? <laughs> <laughs> I'm only a few weeks away from, like, having a Word, a word document on my screen that's just <laughs> no fun in, or all work and no play make Angel a dull boy <laughs> written over and over and over and over again. Oh my god. We <laughs> no. laugh, but it's a very real possibility. Yeah, no, I mean, like, let's be honest. There's a lot of, there's, unfortunately, you know, there are a lot of people who are going to be stuck in homes with, with parents that are, mm-hmm. that they do not want to be in the home with. And, and I don't want to, and I don't want to take any of this lightly as well. I, I really think that this film is, what's so amazing about it is it really is one of the best films ever, uh, for me, it is one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, mm-hmm. It is on that list for me. Uh, it is my favorite Stephen King adaptation, and I know Stephen King does not like this movie that much because it essentially changed to it. He's come around to it a little bit, uh, but it's essentially changed. Like Stanley Kubrick essentially changed the point of his movie. You mean of made it better? The- I think it's better. I absolutely think the movie is better than the book. Like, we gotta remember, as great as Stephen King has, and, like, while he has created a lot of amazing stories, he's also written a lot of fucking stinkeroos, <laughs> and even his great works have some really fucking weird shit, like, the, the weird fucking preteen orgy in it, okay? So, sometimes you gotta let someone else have the reins, and they, they tie in and put a little bit more. Like, I love the fact that just as much like as much as the ghosts and are causing like trauma for this family like it's all reflective of also the trauma that Jack has already kind of inflicted on Wendy and Danny you know and like Shelley Duvall whole this movie broke her like yeah <laughs> it's it it's sad to see like like how she is now um, but holy shit, like, her performance was fucking amazing in this film. Mostly because she was actually being driven insane by Stanley Kubrick. Yeah, he was ve- he was verbally abusive. Uh, Jack Nicholson was also verbally abusive to her. It is not something you really want to think about. Like, like it, it's unfortunate. It is highly unfortunate that that's what he felt he needed to get out of her to get this mm-hmm. performance and you know my feelings on Stanley Kubrick are are <laughs> my esteem for him is not where it was like 10 years ago when I was in film school right or like when I was taking film classes right when you were wearing berets and drinking <laughs> espressos uh, oh yes Javier that's shallow and pedantic <laughs> but that's our top, so that's our that's our top 5 social isolation films so yeah, if you guys got any to add on to the list, or you guys got any recommendations for us, please drop it by on our socials. Uh, do you like movies pod on IG? You know, follow us on on all that stuff, so on all the bullshits. Um, thank you to everyone that's been downloading the show and that's been sticking around on the ride. You know, we apologize we haven't been able to put out content uh, the way we normally have. Uh, unfortunately, life is taking a really shitty turn, but you know. 
Well, I, I have a feeling that, you know, the, the Angel and I have turned a corner as far as the podcast goes. Uh, we think we can make this work, keep trying to put out content for you guys. Um, just, you know, we can't believe the amount of support we've been got, we've been getting from y'all, making it all the way to three, 3K downloads. Like, we, that's something we, I wasn't expecting. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty exciting. It is pretty exciting to watch the audience of, the, of this show, like, start to get a little bigger. So, definitely gives us the motivation that we have right now to keep putting out episodes despite the fact of how everything is going plus you know we're home all the time now so what else are we gonna do yep and please (laughs) please i know what the fuck else are we gonna do it's not like i can go to the gym you know (laughs) (laughs) but yeah like please like we can't stress enough if you guys you know we're all in this together we're all in this shitty position please you know, if you see someone in need, help each other out. Don't be dicks, you know? We're, we're all in the same apocalypse. Um, and don't worry. If we keep we keep doing what we're supposed to do, if we keep listening to the rules, you know, we'll turn a corner and we'll beat this together, y'all. All right. So thanks for joining us for this episode, and we'll talk to you guys next time.